Welcome back to our midweek Bible study. We are in the heart of winter right now. And I look outside and I see snow on the ground. It's chilly, but we are also gaining about 10 minutes of daylight each week. And uh, if those clouds would just thin out a little bit out there, we could see that the sun is not setting until after 5.30 in the evening now. So let's all hang in there. We know spring is on the way. <laughs> well, you'll remember in our study so far that Paul has greeted the church at Philippi and he has thanked God for all of them <laughs> with joy. And as we continue this week, we're going to see that Paul moves from a godly greeting and thanksgiving to a godly prayer for the Philippians. And in chapter 1, verses 8 to 11, Paul models for the Philippians and for us what a godly prayer looks like. Here's what Paul says in our passage. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In our study, we're going to explore this passage under five headings. They're found in the notes outline if you're using them. A godly response, a godly request, a godly rationale, a godly righteousness, and a godly result. So we start with a godly response in verse 8. And remember the setting, right? Paul's in prison, probably in Rome, and Epaphroditus has just brought Paul a financial gift and a report from the Philippians. And Paul's response to this is a godly response, a godly response. God is Paul's witness. How much Paul yearns for all of the Philippians with the affection of Christ Jesus. And you think about that. Since Paul's affectionate feelings for them are a matter of the heart, and only God can really know the heart, God must serve as Paul's witness concerning his yearning with affection, how, how much he misses being with the Philippians. Uh, the sense is something like this, God knows how I feel about you and how I miss you, how I long for you. So while separated from them, perhaps by over a thousand miles, Paul yearns with deep feeling to to see them and be reunited with this very special congregation. Literally, it says Paul longs after them in the bowels or with the heart of Christ Jesus. And the idea seems to be that Christ's love for the Philippians is also at work in Paul's strong internal affection for them. Paul then had a godly response. Paul's emotions were godly emotions. So much so that Paul calls on God as his witness. God who knows everything. I mean, you better be sure of something when you call on God as your witness, right? That's serious business. But that's what we see from Paul here. God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And though Paul yearns for them with the affection of Jesus, given that he is currently imprisoned, 
Paul can't be with the Philippians, at least not right away, right? But he can pray for them, which he does. We know that he prays for them on a regular basis. Remember back in verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And in verse 9 now, he's going to tell them what his prayer for them consists of. Paul offers up a godly request, a godly request. He he prays that the Philippians' love may abound more and more and more and more. They they are a loving people already to some extent. That's great. It's not that the Philippians lacked love altogether, just that there was room for growth, right? Like maybe there is in me and you. (laughs) They were not yet loving God with all their heart, and soul, and mind, and strength, and they were not yet loving their neighbors, or maybe even loving each other within the church, as they loved themselves as fully as they could. And I just totally identify with that. I mean, my love can be so limited. just feel like I can run out of love so quickly. So Paul prays that the love that they already have will keep on growing more, And Paul also prays that as their love abounds more and more and more, that it will be with knowledge, probably meaning knowledge of God and his truth, and with all discernment, which is moral perception or ethical insight. Apparently, the Philippians had some measure of love, but love is not complete by itself without knowledge and discernment, right? We We need love and discernment together. I mean, we we need to have a discerning love and we need to have a loving discernment. So Paul offers up then a godly request for them with a godly rationale. We see that in verse 10. Paul's prayer is so that you may approve of what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see, as the Philippians love, grows in more knowledge and true discernment, then they'll be able to approve of what is excellent. And so they may be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's praying then that the the Philippians can discern what really counts, right? Uh, You and I know that in the Christian life, some things matter more than others. Some things matter more than others. And having discerned this, the Philippians... And we must now live out the most important things with love being at the very top of the list of the most important things. Then they'll be morally pure. They'll they'll be without mixed motives, you know, sincere. And they'll be blameless. They, they, They won't be offending others or causing others to stumble for the day of Christ's coming when everyone is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul, then, he has the Philippians in his heart, clearly. And his prayer, his godly request for them, is undergirded by a godly rationale of what is best for them. That's what he wants. The idea here from Paul is, live out now who you ultimately will be when Jesus comes back. Right? Live fully for Christ now, in light of the day of his return. And you see that in the first part of verse 11, that by praying for the Philippians, 
to be prepared for the day of Christ's return, he's praying that there'll be people filled with the fruit of righteousness. And and this may refer to the righteousness that results, the, the fruit that comes from our justified righteous standing through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a point Paul will definitely make later in chapter 3, verse 9. But most likely here in in this verse, I think it refers to the fruit that consists in righteousness or righteous conduct, righteous acts that mark those who belong to Christ. Either way, and there's a big debate among scholars over this, either way, it is clear that the fruit of righteousness is not self-generated by the Philippians, It comes only through Jesus Christ. It's a godly righteousness that Paul prays for them to enjoy. And at the end of verse 11, we can see that the outcome is a godly result. You see, as God answers Paul's prayer and brings more and more spiritual growth in the Philippians' lives, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus will be to the glory and praise of God. In the end, God will receive the glory and praise for the good work that he is doing in the Philippians' lives, right? What a great prayer to pray for any person or any group for whom we really want what is best. And note, too, that before he starts talking to the Philippians about some key matters, as he will as the letter unfolds, he first talks to God about the Philippians, right? He puts prayer first. And you think, what what Christian individual, what Christian church doesn't need to have our love abound more and more and more in all knowledge and discernment so that we can be able to approve what's excellent and, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, leading to the glory and praise of God. I've been asking myself, you know, how do my prayers compared to this prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians. And it's been challenging me and shaping me in positive ways. I hope the same is true for you. In these opening 11 verses, if we take the introduction as a whole, what we've been looking at these first three weeks, we see that it sets the tone, really, for what follows. It it provides a sort of a preview of coming attractions from the remainder of the letter. Right, Just in the introduction, in these first 11 verses, Paul's touched on the idea of being in Christ. He's talked about giving thanks to God, praying with joy. These are going to be major themes that run through the whole letter. He's talked about sharing in Christian partnership or fellowship, defending and confirming the gospel. We're going to see that again and again. Enjoying close, affectionate friendship in Christ, major theme, and looking forward to the day of Christ's coming. It's already appeared in verse 6 and verse 10, and we will see it again. Paul's just very thankful for what God has done in the Philippians and for what the Philippians, in turn, have done for Paul. There's a three-way bond then between Paul and the Philippians and Christ, right, in whom they both share. Christ is the glue in this relationship between Paul and the Philippians. And it's not that there aren't any problems at all, right, in Paul's circumstances. I mean, he's imprisoned. And it's not that there aren't any problems in the Philippian church. They've got some squabbles going on that they have to work out. But Paul is confident that in his grace, God 
will work things out for both Paul and for these beloved believers at Philippi. And it's going to be to God's glory and praise. <laughs> well, so what could have just been a kind of a ho-hum, hi, hello, how you doing, kind of standard introduction to this letter, becomes so much more at the hand of Paul and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As we step back and look at the big picture of verses 8 to 11, our passage for this week, we see the passage and the prayer here is not focused on health, physical health, or material things. And again, nothing wrong with prayers for those things. But all of Paul's recorded prayers in Scripture focus on people's spiritual state and their spiritual growth. And that is definitely true here, right? Paul prays that they might grow more and more in a love that's marked by knowledge and all discernment. Why? Why would he pray that? Because as they grow in knowledgeable and discerning love, you see, then they'll approve of what is excellent. And as they approve of what is excellent, they'll be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. And as they're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, it's all going to culminate in glory and praise to God. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful prayer. And I've been asking myself, how do these beautiful words from Paul to the Philippians 2,000 years ago, how do they apply to my life? How do they apply to our lives today? I got six possible applications, and there are many more, which I'm sure you will share with each other in your groups, but consider these half dozen. Number one, am I honest enough with myself and with others that I could call on God as my witness about the state of my heart, as Paul does? I mean, that's the ultimate oath, <laughs> calling God as your witness as Paul does. Number two, have I, have we, have you perhaps settled into just okay relationships, or maybe even in some cases just kind of made peace with, settled into just poor relationships? Or do we ask God to help our love abound more and more and more, right? If I put my love on a timeline over the last decade, 2011 to 2021, what I see that my love is, is going down, that I actually love less than I did 10 years ago, or is it kind of just plateaued, flattened out? Or by God's grace, am I loving more and more? Is my love abounding more and more by God's grace? Number three, is my love accompanied by knowledge and all discernment so that I actually approve of what's excellent, Right? Do I, do I mess around with lesser things? Or do I approve of the things that really matter? Right? Do I choose not just what's okay, but what's best? Number four, have I, have we, have you perhaps in some ways drifted into aspects of worldliness? Or, or are, uh, are we, are, am I actively seeking, actively seeking to be pure and blameless for the day? of Christ's return. Number five, thank God that I do not become righteous through my own power, right? It's that I enjoy the righteousness, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. And that is good news for me, for the Philippians, for all of God's people. The righteousness is not our own, 
but it's the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. And number six, simply I challenge you to pray this prayer of verses 9 to 11, this prayer for someone or some group that you love, right? It could be your parents, could be your siblings, could be your kids or grandkids or friends or coworkers. You fill in the blank. It's something that I've done over the past couple of days, praying for people that I love, and I found it to be a great practice, just very, very meaningful, and I encourage you to do the same. We'll close by doing that together now, if you would join me in praying. Father, it is our prayer for your church at Parkside Green that our love may abound more and more. We ask you to make us a people who grow in love every single month of every single year, even in the midst of all the craziness of the world right now. And we ask, Father, that our growing love will be marked by knowledge and all discernment. We want our love to be an informed, wise love so that we don't fiddle around with what's second best or third best, but we approve of and pursue what's truly excellent. Oh, Lord, you have begun a good work in us, and we ask you to bring it to completion so that we might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We want to be without spot or wrinkle or blemish. We want to be a holy bride, righteous through Jesus and righteous for Jesus' sake, all to your glory and your praise. Amen.